uh, the, the, the weird poem that uh, Fieldrone wrote is... They ask Mariel to read it again, and she's like, all right, here goes for the tenth time. If I were fool of any sort, I'd leave Redwall and travel forth. For only fools seek terra mort upon the pathway leading north. This trail brings death with every pace. Beware of strangers... Uh, da, da, da. <laughs> Are you okay? Beware of dangers lurking there, stick legs of the feathered race, and fins that in the ford do stir. After the ford, one night, one day, seek out the otter and his wife. Forsake the path, go Westland's way, find the trail, and lose your life. When in the woods this promise keep, with senses sharp and open eyes, my nose shall not send me to sleep, for the buried ones will surely rise. Beat the hollow oak and shout, we are creatures of Redwall. If a brave one is about, he'll save any fool at all. Beware the light that shows the way, trust not the wart-skinned toad. In his realm, no night, no day. Fool, stay to the road. Where the sea meets the, with the shore, there the final clue is hid. Rock stand sentinel evermore, find it as I did. The swallow who cannot fly south, the bird that only flies one way, lies deep beneath the monster's mouth. Keep him with you night and day. His flight is straight, nor west is true. Your fool's desire he'll show you. Hubert is quick to dismiss it as a telltale. Tall tale. Tarquin defends Fieldron's words, saying he thinks it must be true, even if it's hard to follow. Mariel declares she intends to follow it, because it is her duty to retrieve the bell and return it to Lord Ronblade. When... Uh, Mel uh, Melis also calls, uh, not Melis, uh, Mariel calls Tarkin a doodlehead. Yeah, doodlehead. It's a very, it's a very good insult. I just had to point that out, that she calls him a doodlehead, because he's being a doodlehead. It's good. When the astute abbot asks her what else she intends, she says she has one more job she must do. Kill Gabul. Gabul. Did I already read the part of Ethel? Yeah. She tells the others that it is her task alone. She won't ruin the Red Waller's peaceful lives. Tomorrow she leaves and none are to follow. And I like this. Mariel is, like, partially she's, like, attempting to be a strong, independent female. Um... But she is really trying to protect the Red Wallers. She knows they are peaceful. They are good people. And she doesn't want them to be ruined by her revenge quest. Yeah. And she also seems to understand, like, the effect that revenge can have on other creatures. Because mm -hmm. it is a harsh emotion to live in. Mm -hmm. And it deeply affects the people around you. No, I didn't just finish watching Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> and the bit with fucking Mustang. Oh, my God. <laughs> We literally just finished it last night. Oh, man. Yeah. It is so good. It's so good. She's like, yeah. God, I love Ken, Hawkeye. I've never seen it before. Oh, my gosh. Ken. Yeah. I almost, He's I'm seen almost, it now. I'm almost jealous that, jealous that first time getting to see it is really good. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. Once she's gone, Danden, of course, says he plans to go with her. Melis forbids him, and the abbot backs her up. Danden is strong, but he's known nothing but peace his whole young life. Later, between midnight and dawn, Simeon is in his room, somewhere between wakefulness and dreams. He feels someone in his room and asks if it is Bernard. The voice that speaks is not Bernard's, though. The voice comes with the smell of mossflower woods. It tells him Danden must go. He has the blood of Gonf in his veins, and Mariel needs him as a friend, just as Martin needed Gonf. 
A ghostly touch leads Simeon from his room, though he feels he still remains in the room somehow. Sure as a dream, he settles in to enjoy it more, to which I go, Martin, why are you giving this blind mouse an out-of-body experience, sir? Why not? Simeon is led down to the grave of Martin, though he doesn't know that's what it is. And Martin hands him the sword, telling him to give it to Dandon without waking Dandon, without waking him. Dandon will know what it means. Doing so, Simeon awakens back at his window, smiling as he hears the goodbye from the warrior. He tells Martin goodbye and settles back down. It's like, Martin just like, everyone must quest for my sword. Except Gaunt's family. They're cool. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is Martin absolutely fucking with Gonf's ghost because Gonf would fucking love to solve a stupid riddle quest like this. And Martin's like, but what if I just gave it to him? Gonf's screaming in the background like, my my ancestors or my descendants deserve better. Make them earn it. No, I'm gonna give it to him. <laughs> can't stop me. Can't stop, won't stop. Night tide sees the Dark Queen floating up the river or slaves pulling her along. And once they are clear, her sails open to help her further. Pakatug has, of course, seen the ship. He's decided anything he can steal from them is his by rights, so he watches and waits. Quite unpleasant fellow. Come dawn, Graypatch has the Dark Queen tied off to three different trees. He sends a batch of his rats out to scout for other small, other smart critters. He picks three more to watch the deck, including Big Fang and Kaibo and goes to take a nap below decks. Hackatug is amused by the bumbling sea rats. And it's just like, are we supposed to like this guy or not? No. He, I don't think we're supposed to like him. Mm -mm. He watches one stumbling right into some nettles and fires a blow dart at another. But he's spotted by Dead Glim, who slips off under the pretext of going back to the ship. He watches them, de watches them debate over some berries, which is actually kind of a funny moment, and writes another dart only to be caught by Dead Glim, who binds him and hauls him off to the ship to meet Great Patch. And it's like, I don't feel sorry for you, dude. I mean, he he made his bed. Yeah. He made it and he's sleeping and now... Oh yeah, we started another chapter. Where's that berry bit? That berry bit is actually quite funny. Um, hey, Frank, what do you suppose these are? Strawberries? Nah, the blackberries or raspberries or something. Anyhow, why ask me? I don't know. Don't want to know either. Ha <laughs> ha, why don't you try eating one, lard gut? Are you scared, mate? Who, me? Of course I'm not. Here, watch this. How does it taste, lardy me old shipmate? Hmm, tastes nice. Wonder what they're called. Deadly nightshade or something? They're probably poison. Yeah! <laughs> Darn, what'd you spit them out for? If you ate some and didn't die, then we'd have known they'd been alright to eat. Proper mean to your mates you are, lard gut. Bet your kaiba wouldn't have spat them out. <laughs> the whole exchange is just like, oh. It's very fucking funny. It is. Because, like, that that just feels like friendly teasing banter. Like, they're just joking yeah. back and forth. Um, and, like, they, Nightshade doesn't actually taste that good. No. Although it still amuses me that tomato is a relative of Nightshade. Um, yep. The wreck of the green fang. Like, humans love taking things we're not supposed to eat and making it into something we can. Uh, looks at onion, looks at garlic, looks at half the nightshade family, uh, looks at people- Looks who, at peppers. Peppers. Looks at- uh, Caffeine. 
native folks who were able to turn acorns into flour, even though acorns would be poisonous in their natural state. Um, or mush. Or mush. Um, That's what it's called. It's mush. Yeah. The wreck of the Green Fang has been spotted by one of the Long Patrol. Romblade sends off Clary and his crew to go north and see what's happening, and if anyone needs help. He watches the three leave his room. At his forge, Romblade recalls bitter memories, three hairs young, killed by Gabool. He cannot go to Gabool, but he knows. He knows one day they will meet again. Then he will get his revenge. Although Brian doesn't like giving people their revenges, so Gabul's probably just going to get yeeted off a cliff or fall down or something or fall on his own blade, so. Or we're going to get, like, what we got with Boar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Boar did get his revenge, but he died in the process. Uh-huh. An hour after dawn, Marielle awakens. She's puzzled by the silence in the abbey. Usually it's alive and bustling by now. She won't question it, though. She's grateful she can sneak away without a fuss. Which, personally, my theory is either A, Martin's keeping everyone asleep, or B, everyone's just freaking in a food coma. Probably. They did stay up very late the uh -huh. night before. She grabs a hidden sack of filched food and makes her way out to the northern wicker gate. This fucking gate! It causes so many problems! To make her silent escape with a single manly tear. This girl really is Martin's chosen one in this book. <laughs> Honestly. She does feel guilty as she marches down the road. She hated tearful goodbyes, but the Abbey Dwellers had been kind to her. So she swears, as long as she is alive, she'll come back to Redwall to thank them. Even if she dies, her spirit will come back to Redwall anyway. And I, the, the speech, like the fact that she's just saying this, she thinks she's saying this to herself, speaking it out loud to nobody. And this girl is so honest and straightforward. It's it's a charming moment. Like, it's what a good way to get us to like Marielle even more, to help drive forward how independent but loyal she still is. Feeling much better now, she breaks into her food for a marching breakfast. She even finds an early russet apple from a wild apple tree. Revived by her breakfast and feeling very chipper, she begins to skip down to skip and sing an old play song, All Mice Know. This is another one that's, um, you can definitely tell it's written on a tune or a basic tune that is easy to pick up. Yeah. Uh, page 136. Oh, I passed it. That's why I put the page numbers. The winter o, oh, the winter o, oh, with cold and dark and driving snow. Oh, not for me, the winter o, oh, my friend, I tell you so. In spring the winds do sport and play, and rain can team down any day. While autumn oft is misty gray, my friend, hear what I say. When summer sunlight comes each morn, the birds sing sweet each golden dawn. And the flowers get kissed by every bee, while shady stands the tree. The summer o, oh, the summer o, oh, amid its golden peace I go, from noon to lazy evening glow, my friend, I told you so. Mm -hmm. She apparently does, like, a really nice, like, cute leap into the air. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Lands nose first into a ditch. She's rescued by Tarquin, who compliments her singing and criticizes her leaping. Baffled by his sudden appearance, she questions where he'd come from. He's as wordsy and ever, explaining that he hadn't been following. Oh no, he'd been right beside her, hidden in plain sight. I wasn't following you, snub nose. I was right alongside you, mousy miss. Oh yes, seasons of training, you know, camouflage and all that. Dodge and bob, duck and weave, disguise too. D 
Do you want to see me become a daisy or a bally buttercup? She tries to tell him he can't come, but he claims, oh no, he's just on the same road as her. May as well travel together, right? <laughs> Fluna just sent me a message. I'm free! Good job finishing your homework, Fluna. Um, <laughs> setting off at a good clip, Mariel has to jog to keep up with him. As long as he doesn't try to go the whole way with her, it's fine. Well, why is he marching so fast, he asks? He doesn't want to be late for lunch, of course. Fight this frickin' hair. Fucking fight him. Near noon, they come around a bend to find Dandin has laid out lunch for them under a nice willow tree. He cheerfully greets them. <laughs> Mariel rounds on the both of them. Why was Dandin here? How did Tarquin know he was going to be here? It's a plot! Tarquin explains he's waited by the gate all night for her to slip out. An hour or so before dawn, Dandin slipped out. So Tarquin told him to get a move on and they'd meet him up the road in an understandable... In an, in an understandable tiff, she sits down to eat, trying to make it clear that she does not want them with her. They wink at each other and nod at her, clearly not intending to respect her wish to go alone. When lunch is done, they pack up and talk as if they're the ones on a journey, and Mariel is just happening to go the same way they are. In a high temper, she marches between them, grinding her teeth and being teased for it. She also takes a justifiable swing at them with her gullwhacker. And I'm mixed about this because in the Red Wall books, no no hero journeys alone. They always have companions. And sometimes, like, even when Matthias slipped out, he still ran into the Guosin. Like, he still eventually found companions. But he was also yeah. allowed to go off on his own. And... The boys are treating Marielle like, oh, don't worry about it. We're just here to help you because you clearly need it. But we're not going to say that. And it's just kind of like, I don't like it. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, they're playing a joke, but women get treated like this in fiction all the time. And it, it's just annoying. It's, it's irritating I, because I, like as someone who grew up as a cis woman, you get this kind of condescension. And I mean, like I am a cis woman. Um, why do I say it like that? Sorry. <laughs> I am a cis woman. Um, Gender? What? Listen, like, I had two people come out to me as non-binary this week, okay? <laughs> so, it's like, gen gender is a spectrum, and I, I, I don't know, whatever. I'm content being a girl, but every now and then it's just like, I don't care. Um, let's see. Gender, fake. Yeah. Sexuality, fake. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, that kind of condescension where it's like, oh, of course, honey, you know what you're doing? It's like, <sighs> after a bit, she starts to relax and cheer back up, their tomfoolery being infectious. Around mid-noon, she suggests a little stop for a snack and a cool down in the shade. Because remember, guys, it's high summer. Um, it quickly turns... Just walking in the sun. Yeah. It quickly turns into a long nap, though, as the good food and heat gets to them. They awaken with a start, realizing someone is stalking them. Figuring out where they are, hidden in a bush, the three fan out to grab them, only to hop around in agony as their hands and paws are pricked by hedgehog quills. It's Dury Quill, here to assist them in his own way. He helps remove the quills when and applies a dock leaf mix to ease the pain. We have to remember, Dury Quill is younger than mm -hmm. uh, both Dandin and Mariel. Like, he baby. Yeah. He's not a Dibbon, though. He's like, like, I feel like Mariel and them, they would be solidly teenagers. He's probably like 
10, maybe 11. Um, he explains himself. He's alone. No one else is following. He plans to take over the role of cellar keeper. Before he does, he wants to see a bit of the world and decides helping Mariel was the way to do it. Which is sound reasoning, in my opinion. Um, they spot. At least he's being honest and not yeah. teasing her. I like Dury. I like him a lot. He's a he's a fun. Same. He's a good character to to include. They spot a ford ahead and wonder if it's shallow enough to cross. They don't have a chance though, because a big vicious bird heron, a big vicious heron appears, threatening them to stay away. It's his water. Irakatan, mighty killer. To bird. which squirrels put. Bird. 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 We should do not get a lot of this bird. No. Which is unfortunate because I think Irakatan is cool. Yeah. Like, I want to know more about the stork. It's his water. It's his home. A heron. Heron. No. Heron. Yes. There's a there difference. Is, I know there's a difference. I know. Stork. <laughs> I'm gonna fight you. I'm sorry. Listen, we're almost there. We've only got like five pages to go. I'm gonna come fight you. Okay. <laughs> you have to find me first. Uh, Grey Patch gives. Bitch. Grey Patch. I have your address. I know where you <laughs> oh, live. Shit, you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you have to find me first, bitch. I already did. Oh no. <laughs> I miscalculated. <laughs> <laughs> Man, am I bad at math? <laughs> Gray Patch gives Pack a Tug a good look over. Oh, we've started another chapter, by the way. Trying yes, to sound friendly, it, he asks Pack. These aren't as abrupt swaps as the last book, but they're still like new chapters happen, and typically when it changes scene, it's a new chapter. Yeah. Gray Patch gives Pack a Tug a good look over. Trying to sound friendly, he asks for Packatug to tell him about the snug little berths and cozy coves in the area. Speaking of which, I can't wait to play Cozy Cove after this. Uh, a bit bolder, <laughs> now that he's not trussed up, Packatug says there's not much. Graypatch's sort usually lands more north, where there's more life. Graypatch again asks nicely. He wants someplace soft and plentiful to settle down. Thinking he's weak, Packatug takes a firmer tone with him. Graypatch calls him on his bluff strings him up, and has the crew haul him into the air. He asks, has he ever fed the fishes? Packatug says no and stammers out a question. What are they fed? The crew laughs as Grey Patch explains. It's Packatug they'll be feeding to the fishes in nice little strips. He drops the squirrel back to the deck, getting ready to slice him from tip to tail, and Packatug breaks, explaining about the abbey. Grey Patch has... Him taken below and put into chains where he's ready. Packatug will lead him to the abbey. And it was it was at this point that I had like a little slight epiphany where I I still don't like Packatug, but I feel like Brian was writing Packatug in the way he was because he needs Packatug to betray Redwall. He needs something to get the vermin to Redwall to initialize the B plot of you know the Redwallers defending themselves. And it reminds me how, like, in some circles of Christianity, Judas is actually written or viewed in a very sympathetic light because he doesn't really have a choice in what he does, in a sense, because it was prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed. Someone had to do the betraying. And there's even some yeah. theologians who theorize that Judas was actually intentionally told to betray him. 
he like he didn't really have a choice god needed jesus to be betrayed and judas was the tool to do that and like Packetug isn't a real person he's not a historical figure like jesus was he is a tool of the author to do what the author needs him to do to get the plot moving and by making him unpleasant we don't feel as bad when he gets hurt like this or when he's bullied like this and where it's like ah of course of course he betrayed redwall he's a self-serving cruel creature you know yeah anyway that's my little rant listen it's the it's the it's the christianity part it's the christianity part coming in this is what i'm here for <laughs> i'm over here to just be like <laughs> bird yeah <laughs> We find the three hares pausing for a snack and a rest. We've jumped over to the hares, of course. They're jumped by Oikamon's natterjacks and set up a bit of a sand barrier for defense. True to his threat, he's brought a horde with him to fight the hares. And it's like, I'm on his side! This is his home, it's his turf, and the hares are being assholes. Like, have they tried diplomacy? Have they tried showing respect? Like, hello, sir, we need to pass through here. Maybe we'll pay you a tithe, you know? And, yeah, it's, it's like you say... It's, it's the, the racism! <sighs> they wait until sunset, with Clary coming up with a simple plan that works perfectly. When Oikamon comes into sight, he has Han Rosie clock him with a slung stone. This did actually kind of make me chuckle a little as terrible as it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> while his warriors swarm around him to make sure he's okay, they make a break for it into the shallow waters. Because they know that toads won't like the salt water. It's really bad for them. Back with Mariel and company, Dandan orders everyone to get back. Mariel does not get back. <laughs> and I love the way he writes this. Uh, hang on, I have to... Dandan spread his paws wide. Back off! This bird means business! Mariel sprang forward. <laughs> I love that. Immediately she's like, nah! Um, Mariel very like, much... Fuck you, I do what I want. Yeah. Mariel very much moves forward to attack, barely dodging the deadly beak time and again a distraction provided by dury quill lets her get the gold whacker sonic the hedgehog ass motherfucker <laughs> rolling around at the speed of sound um wow that was off key uh tarquin pins his neck dandan and dury make short work of trussing him up and the rest of the way trussing him up the rest of the way with rope and bind weed so this bird is now just like trussed up like a turkey um Turkey bird. Turkey bird. They all hop off and tell him how it's going to be. He can free himself once they're gone. If he tries to follow, Dandan will slay him. Now declaring himself Dandan, the sword carrier. Irkatan makes some muffled noises as Tarquin preps to leap the ford, but Dandan stops him. Tarquin starts to protest he's been getting pretty bossy. Why should he listen? So Dandan recites part of the poem again. This trail brings death with every pace. Beware of dangers looking there. Stick legs of the feathered race and fins that in the ford do stir. They've met stick legs, Irkatan. So the fin that stirs the ford must be something else. He tosses a bit of bread and sure enough, a monster of a pike shows itself to snatch the bread up. Thoroughly shooketh, Tarquin thanks him. I need you to stop. <laughs> Can't stop, won't stop. Fucking we've got shook it. we've got four pages to go. We can make it. I we can do this. Um, I'm hungry. We can make it. We can make it. We're so close. They observe at least eight pikes swimming through the water weeds. 
They need a way to cross, and Dury suggests a bridge. Tarquin snarks at him, and Dury snarks right back. He spotted a great fallen branch that will work just fine as a bridge. Tarquin apologizes, and even flatters Dury a little. The pike take keen interest in the bridge. If anyone slips so much as a paw in the water, they're done for. Mariel goes first, nearly being knocked off in the middle, but she makes it. Dandon goes next, making it across with ease. Tarquin sends Dury next, predictably. Dury falls in. Not by his fault, though. A great pike leaks clean out of the water to knock him off. Tarquin leaps in to the rescue, literally. And this sequence is, it, it, sh it starts out so tense and tight. And then Brian does such a good job of breaking the tension with this end sequence here. Because he saves Dury at the cost of damaging his Haralina and part of his bobbed tail as a big female pike has latched onto it. And... <laughs> Let's see. It's poor rump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Tarquin Elwood Sorrel came tearing out along the branch, half in and half out of the water, the branch flopping up and down madly into the ford. Grabbing Dury by the snout, he swung him clear of the pike's jaws, kicking one pike savagely and braining another with his Haralina. There's a lot of braining that happens in this book. The hare carries straight on with his mad dash. He sprinted out of the water with Dury held tight, a damaged Haralina, and a big female pike latched onto him, its teeth sunk in his bobtail. In his bobtail. Tarquin let go of Dury and performed a mad war dance on the bank. Yo! Lego, you beast! Lego! <laughs> okay. They set, up, yeah, they set up camp for the night a ways away, while Dury makes a poultice for Tarquin's behind. Mariel and Dandon for his oh. nether end. Yeah, for his nether end. Mariel asks Dandon where he come by the sword. Can you drink? Dandon says he got it in a dream. He'd seen Martin and been told one thing. Dandon, go with Mariel. He tells her who Martin was. This jogs her memory. He'd shown up in her dream as well, telling her to be brave and to follow her heart's desire. Tarquin interrupts the moment to ask her about soup and for Dandon to recite the next bit of the poem. He does. Dury beats Tarquin to the soup, commenting on the gloomy poem. Their fire settles into ember and the four settle down to sleep. End of that chapter. Waveblade and her captain Org-Eye, which the name is very unfortunate because there'd be a very easy way to uh, misread that if this was a much naughtier book. Um, <laughs> am I wrong, though? No. Return to Terramort empty-handed. He knows this is dangerous, but chances it anyway. Lack of sleep and the lack of slaves to tend him has sent Gabool into a red-eyed fury, and Brian is going full speed with this villainous degeneration. Like, Sarmina's was a slow build-up, and Clooney's was good because it was incredibly subtle. Like, just this subtle slip into like that boy ain't entirely right anymore um yeah but nope uh gabool just goes straight over the edge again like i mentioned earlier i think we're supposed to assume that gabool was already kind of unhinged mm -hmm. so like meh. he doesn't even notice orgai's return at first being halfway through a paranoid inspired rant about poor food bad wine and surely they plan to poison him when he finally spots Orgai, he's happy for a moment, thinking he's returned with a great patch. When he finally, sp uh, 
Orgai smartly puts the dining table between himself and Gabul before explaining that no, he doesn't have it. He scoured all of the west until he ran short on rations. He cannot find Grey Patch on the sea. He tried his best. He nearly ducks a flagon thrown at him by the raging Gabul. While trying to escape Gabul's accusations of being a traitor, Orgai explains how he only pulled in to get provisions. If Gabul wants him to go south, he'll go south once he has food. Gabul denies him any rations. He will get nothing from Terramort until he brings Grey Patch and the Dark Queen to him. Orgai only just manages to escape Gabul, who slams against the door Orgai shuts in his face. The bell tolls behind him, and he whirls to confront it instead. He bashes at the bell with a sword, watched by two hidden Dormice slaves. The sword snaps, leaving Gabul panting and sobbing on the floor. The mice, amused at how far he's fallen, laugh and scurry off. He blames the bell for the echoes of laughter, swearing next time he'll bring a bigger sword. God. At Redwall, the adults share a glum meal. They've not seen hide nor hair of the missing kids. Simeon tries to encourage them. The kids are young and adventurous. They'll be fine. Melis is not so sure. She's angry at Dandon when she asks Gabe Quill when she asks Gabe Quill how he feels about Dury, he responds he's a bit baffled. Figures a good kid as him was led astray by Storm Gullywhacker. Gullywhacker. He calls her Storm Gullywhacker. Simeon says it's all to the good they've gone together though. He explains how he's certain Mariel or Dandon housed the spirit of Martin. And Melis wants to hear none of it. She's going to bed, and in the morning, she's seeing, sending the otter flag out to find them. When she's gone, Simeon tells them of the dream he'd had. And again, I really like Melis because she's a subversion of the, of the badgers we've seen so far. She's so practical and down to earth. She is. She's just, she's a very, very good mother of Red Bull. Mm-hmm. I enjoy her greatly. Constance still best. Constance still best, but... Melis isn't a bad merit mother. A rainy morning greets the traveling four. They try and take it in good spirits, even if Dury complains a little. Tarquin smartly distracts him by asking him to talk about his clever Uncle Gabe. It's like, Tarquin, you've got no right to make fun of anybody for the way they speak or the words they use. Um, Because Dury is more than happy to share some of the wisdoms his uncle likes to spout. His... his recounting is brought short by the storm worsening and them noticing Mariel has fallen back. She is essentially having a trauma response, the storm triggering memories of being thrown into the sea. Like, she's having a panic attack. She's having PTSD. Like, we don't give Brian entirely enough credit sometimes here because he might not have known everything we know nowadays, but this is very much an example of PTSD. Yeah, it is. It is a very good thing. Like, she's just like panicking and everybody immediately is like well let's just go sit down for a little bit Mm -hmm. it's fine yep let's see the three act right away to find a safe and comfortable space to ride out the storm they find a nice fur thicket and set up a small fire she dozes lulled by the safety and the others enjoy some tea until dandan realizes being watched signals the others and with sword drawn moves to confront the watcher It's a snake. Dandan isn't sure how to handle it. Tarquin is pretty sure it's only a grass snake, painted up to look like an adder. But it's not listening to his threats and makes a beeline for poor Dury, who's paralyzed with fear. 
Marielle is awoken by Martin, who calls her out of her slumber. Reacting as soon as she sees the danger to Dury, she soundly thwacks the snake with Gullwhacker, and it drops limp. A quick splash in the face releases Dury from his paralysis, and Tarquin admits once more that he is wrong. This is likely an adder, and Danton says they better leave before it wakes up. The four sprint out into the rain. Harrogance! Oh, I didn't see that! I'm gonna fight you! <laughs> oh my gosh, squirrels! So, Kit was like, time to start making tallies of how often Tarkin nearly gets them killed because he's arrogant. And it was my turn! My turn for the pun! And I said, Harrogance! I love that! I'm proud of you! <laughs> okay. Once safely away, they scold Tarquin a little. Dury asks why they didn't chop its head off, and Dandon says he wants no unnecessary killing. It has just as much a right to life as any creature, which I really like. I like Dandon a lot so far because, like, he's he has been such a good embodiment of, like, I know he's not the one possessed by Martin, but he's a really good example of, like, the, the morals of Redwall. Yeah. And even if this creature is dangerous and ostensibly would be evil in another book, he's like, no, it still deserves to live. And it wasn't, like, they were away. It couldn't actively harm them, so, you know, it works out. When the rain gives way and the sun returns, the much-cheered Dury takes to ragging on Tarquin. Tarquin teases right back, then Mariel scares him half to death by looping Gullwacker around his shoulders and saying it's an adder. Dandon halts their fun by pointing out that they have found the otter and his wife, though they all certainly didn't expect them to look like that. And again, another good chapter ending. A good little cliffhanger right here. It's a very good one. The crew of the Dark Queen march behind Packatug, heading towards Redwall. Which is like, there's a little typo here where they, he calls him a hedgehog. Like, and he doesn't say hedgehog. It is in the, like, narrative text. Yeah. The, and it's like... At, and I saw your comment before I had read that part, so I was like, I mean, he's covered in sticks and leaves and looks like a bush. And yeah. then I read it, and I was like, mm, nope, actually, that's weird. Yeah, straight up says... Because, like, literally the next page, they call him a squirrel. Yeah. So it's just, it's a typo. It is. It's just a little odd slip up. Um, which I have no room to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Big Fang takes to complaining. He doesn't like how the ship's been left unprotected. He also suspects that they're being led in circles. Graypatch is getting annoyed and snarks at Big Fang. Big Fang knows he's pushing his luck, but keeps at it, hoping to get the crew on his side. One last complaint snaps Graypatch's patience. He lays it out for him. Sure, go back to the boat. Take a few others with him while he's at it. And what will he and the others do against a fully crewed ship? The Dark Queen is safe enough where she is, and Graypatch knows he'll need all his fighters to take the Abbey. And if he keeps up the complaints, Graypatch will abandon him in the woods. The going is miserable, and they all suffer as they shuffle through the forest. They sight Redball by evening. Big Fang is gung-ho to go take it, but is tripped and stopped by Graypatch, who is none too happy to see Big Fang electing himself as the leader. He scolds them. Being careful isn't being scared. They have no idea who or what lives in the Abbey. And if anyone wants to challenge him, he'd be more than happy to leave to have it out with them right there, right then. None do. Please 
Pleased, he promises that tomorrow morning they'll pay the Abbey visit. For now, they'll camp and enjoy the fat of the land around them. Like, he picks a pear off a tree and he's just like, Oh, hey, look, we got vittles just growing on trees. Isn't this cool? Isn't this nice? Come on, y'all. <laughs> yeah. As for you, matey, you stand by ear. Because he, he strings up Pack-a-Tug. Uh, so it's basically torture. Because he strings him up so he has to stand on tiptoe. And that is actually a torture uh, way of torturing someone. Um, yeah, because if he relaxes, he'll strangle himself. Right. He'll either strangle himself or he could dislocate his shoulders. A lot of bad stuff. Or hell, he could yep. still dislo- dislocate his shoulders just from trying not to strangle himself. Um, yep. Simeon and the abbot stand on the wall tops, looking and listening to Mossflower. To Mossflower around them. They muse about the weather, about Mariel and her band, and when Simeon hears Melis returning from berry picking, how nice it is they didn't have to go with her and contend with Bag and Run. She looks quite tired. Turns out it wasn't Bag and Run to blame for her state, though. It's the young mole, Grub. He's been devilishly mischievous and shows just how impish he is by taking off down the road away from the others. Naturally, he... Because he's like, I'm going to go on an adventure too. I'm going to go join up with Mario. Mm -hmm. Naturally, he runs towards the encamped vermin, almost being caught to be used as a hostage. Thankfully, Mela scoops him up just fine, scaring the vermin quite soundly and making them grateful for their choice of caution. And... Again, this is Brian setting up a good, subtly tense scene because we know the vermin are out there, but the Red Wallers don't. And this kid just goes sprinting right towards them. Let's see. Because he's a dumb shit little kid. Because he baby. He baby. As 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 old of a soul as all the moles seem to think Grub is, he baby. He baby. Old souls can be goofies too. Once yep. inside, the abbot tells the impish Dibbon to go wash up. And despite the threat of no dinner, he will be allowed to eat the fine custard they're being served that night. Simeon can feel something is off, but not precisely enough to know what it is. He resigns himself to enjoy the custard as well. To which I put, does he smell a rat? Puts my face in my hands. We hop back over to the traveling four. Unsurprisingly, the otter and his wife are stones. They set up base at the finely carved stones to have dinner, ponder the next bit of the poem, and sleep. They're a bit flummoxed by the poem, but decide, come dawn, they'll use the statues to orient themselves and strike west towards the unfriendly and decidedly unmossflowery woods. Dandy snores, Tarquin complains, and Muriel firmly shuts him down and curls up to sleep. He mumbles a song to himself before drifting off. Orgai is lost in a fog further down south. He curses Gabul for forcing them into this. Raypatch and company await the dawn. Romblade paces his chambers, awaiting dawn in a closer step towards the fight with the sea rats. And finally, Gabul's sleeplessness carries on, and he hopes the dawn will bring release from nightmares and ghost bells. And there's a really good line here that I didn't want to summarize because it's a very good ending of book one. It really is. In fact, there were many creatures, there were many different creatures in diverse parts, each waiting to see what the new day might bring. Adventure, danger, victory, defeat, peace of mind, or death. And that is the end of book one of Mariella of Redwall. God, that's such a good fucking ending to the first part. Brian does so good in this book. He really does. Like, he fucking knocks it out of the park for this one. Very much so. 
fantastically so. Okay, alrighty, so we are both tired. Shall we just get to the questions? Yeah, I'm double checking. Uh, so we don't have any questions from the server, but what? Uh, we do have a question on Twitter. So let's go through our regular ones and then we'll get that okay. one. Yeah, we actually got a question on Twitter. Cool. All right. So what was your favorite weird Abbey food in this book? That plum and hazelnut crumble. I want it. Give it to me. <laughs> uh, honestly, the Bernard bread. <laughs> it's not even a weird Abbey food. It's just a giant loaf of bread. And I want to like just shove my face into it. <laughs> I love warm bread so much. <laughs> it's so good. Someday, someday I will make you a loaf of sourdough. Yes. Let's see. Was there an animal that appeared that surprised you and did an animal subvert expectations? And Packatug, honestly. Yeah. Just mean old squirrel. Like, fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and. What's your favorite part so far? I. It's, it's been, like, little moments of, like, shared banter. But the scene where um, Melis takes Mariel out to sleep in the orchard, like, almost every scene with Melis I've enjoyed. Because she's yeah. protective. She's a good matron. And I like that. I like that a lot. And you? She's very, very good. So this uh, question we got from uh, Sai from at uh, CMYK Knight on Twitter, Citrus Side, who is actually in the server, um, asks, and this is, this can be a question that we can keep answering because, uh, Sai is like, I know very little about, uh, about Mariel, uh, but basically the question is, do you think she should have gotten just an absolutely huge sword? I know very little to nothing about her, but I feel like everyone needs a huge sword. Honestly, I agree. Everybody needs a huge fucking sword. I do like the the Gullwhacker, and I think that that is for the best weapon for her. But like, if she gets a sword, like she deserves a sword. In my opinion, I like that she is using the Gullwhacker because it carries a significance to the story and to her because it is it was something used that that they tried to use to kill her. And now she is yeah. going to use it to get revenge. And I like that kind of narrative uh, use and rhyme to objects. I think it is a good, uh, a good balance, a good uniqueness to her. Because it's setting Mariel apart. She's, she is Martin's chosen, but she doesn't need the sword. That is why yeah. he gave it to Dandon instead. Dandon needs the Who sword. Who is the sword carrier. Exactly. He's not the bearer. He's not the hero. He is the carrier. He is just the instrument of protection. So yes, it would be cool if she got a big ass sword, but I don't think she needs it. I think that she can have a big ass sword. She can. She doesn't need it, yeah. but she can have yeah, one. Yeah, I wouldn't say no to her if she wanted one. <laughs> Alright, anything else you want to say? No, that was that was it. Alright. So Thank you for everyone who had the patience to listen to, through to this. We are both tired and looking forward to a month of just not recording. Um, yeah. And sorry for... Well, you don't have to record. I have to record other Oh, shit. you do, yeah. Sorry for the fumbles, it's mumbles, fine. and stutters. Yeah. Um, I'm not always the best at reading things out loud, so thank you for everyone's patience. I hopefully will get better at this the more practice we have. Um, four books in. Four books in, <laughs> yes. Um, but let's do the outro. 
Thank you for listening to Abbey Archives. We are grateful you lent us your ears, and we hope you enjoyed your time with us. This has been Kit. I go by Kitsy in a box on Twitter and Tumblr and hopefully Inkblot eventually when I get an invitation code. Um, um, and I also make these little uh, dessert-based foxes called the Kit Sunday. You can custom order them. If you want one, you can poke me on Twitter or Tumblr and I'll send you the menu so you can see what's available. They're very good. Uh, and this has been Izzy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Shondi. You can find me on Tumblr at lots of squirrels dot. No. Hold on. <laughs> that's the old one. No, that's the old one. <laughs> lots of deer dot Tumblr dot com. Uh, you can also find me on the Hope's Hearth podcast, an actual play solar hope punk podcast. It's very good. Um, yes. We are enjoying it. Uh, we're gearing up towards the end of season two. Yeah. Uh, like, which is going to be like midsummerish when that actually like happens when it's done posting. But we're recording like one of the last games that's going to get posted probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, so we are part of Hearthside Enclave. Everybody knows this. You should follow Hearthside Enclave at HS Enclave on Twitter and. Uh, HS Enclave on Twitch for hopefully we will start streaming soon um, if we have not already started streaming but you should if you would like to support us and the other podcasts that are part of the Enclave you should go to uh, HS Enclave dot uh, no I know how to do fucking URLs coffee.com forward slash HS Enclave coffee spelt K-O dash F-I where you can uh, subscribe to us every month and you can get the weird fucking tangents Kit and I go on. <laughs> the ones that I have to cut out because they add too much time just not relevant. and have nothing yeah. to do with anything. Uh, the one that's currently posted on there is about My Hero Academia and you can get it if you subscribe for $3. Uh, or you can make a one-time donation. And, uh, and that helps us pay for hosting, new equipment, any music we might use, guests that we want to have on, etc. Literally, any money we make off of that is going towards shit for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And you can find both of us at Abbey Archives on Twitter. Yes. And so, may your hearth be warm and your heart be merry. From us to you at Redwall Abbey. Bye. Okay, we want to clap. Clappity clap, 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 clap. At the 30? Uh, at the fucking 30? Okay.
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout inspired audio drama.